And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. Now he's got me. I'll have to look at another crime meme for the next... I told my wife I wasn't going to do this because I didn't want to see that for the next three or four years. That is what Kobe Bryant does to me. I'm pretty sure Vanessa and his friends all can say the same thing. He knows how to get to you in a way that affects you personally, even though if he's being a pain in the ass. But it sh- he always, you ever have a sense of love for him and the way that he can bring out the best in you. And he did that for me. Lock it in! There's like someone drilling next door to me right now. Can you hear yeah. it? Congratulate them on the set. This is the Basketball Buzz. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Logic and reason. With Zach Harper. Oh man, if you put Gordy in Atlanta, we can kiss Waz goodbye from Los Angeles. <laughs> Big Waz. Kristen's beautiful words about pop are the best advertisement for the CIA that I've ever heard in my entire life. I've seen the machine in the basement of Madison Square Garden turning out $100 bills. <laughs> yeah, this isn't for weed. This is a you know, lifetime achievement award. <laughs> right now, that is I've been wanting to say that for a long time. South will rise again. I'll tell oh you boy. that much. Oh <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what I think. I, I don't think it's inconsistent. You've been popped, right? Y- yes. He may have big bones, but he doesn't have big meniscus. What? Why would I wear pants or shorts or anything? Everyone does well when you have good results. Produced by Jay Poy. Everyone does them too well when they don't. Yes, it's a journey into sound. The mecca of basketball. <laughs> Everybody knows if you go back in time, don't do anything. The ramifications can be quite severe. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension. What's up, buddy? Welcome to the Basket Buds edition of the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Zach Harper, joined by Wasmi Lambre, our style correspondent. Uh, what did you call yourself, a cultural anthropologist? Cultural that anthropologist. You? That's what it is, yeah. right, yeah. I'm excavating uh, the entire Los Angeles Right. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, Dave Dufour. Dave, what what anthropology are you into? Uh, I don't know. Basketball. Talking about old guys. Okay. Basketball <laughs> anthropologist. And then uh, join us today. Very special guest from the Charlotte Hornets. Cody Zeller, a big man anthropologist. Does that work? That probably doesn't work, Cody. What, what kind of anthropology are you into? Yeah, I've never had that title before, but I'll just run with that. Big man anthropologist. Okay. Yeah. That works. Cody, we can be a very cynical media bunch as i'm sure you've experienced with just the media in in general but one thing that still warms my cold dead heart is uh is when there is the you know the the giving back to the community uh, especially when it involves kids sick kids uh you've you've been doing this kicks for kids um program recently in which you're giving away shoes you have specially designed shoes by the kids can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so i started my own foundation called the like a child foundation this summer and uh, I'm always kind of rejuvenated being around kids. I think kids just kind of have this, uh, this innocence about them, this joy for life. And, uh, anytime I'm around them, 
you know, I kind of, you know, feel more energized. And so I just kind of want to give back to kids, uh, kind of help kids enjoy their childhood, but also for adults. I think as adults, we kind of get caught up in, you know, chasing the, the corporate ladder, providing for our families, paying taxes, all the stresses that come on us as adults. And uh, the big scheme of things, I think we kind of all need to get back to being like a child and uh, live a simple life. So anyway, like you said, we did this uh, Kicks for Kids and kind of the NBA has never really done anything like that. So I kind of took it upon myself to do, um, you know, pick five uh, organizations that help kids and did five custom pairs of shoes uh, throughout the year and make a donation through my foundation to each one of those. So uh, tonight is the, is one for Riley Children's Hospital here in Indianapolis. And I'll wear the shoes, a really cool pair of custom shoes that were designed by some kids at the Children's Hospital. And so I'll wear them tonight in the game against the Pacers and then uh, make a donation and auction off the shoes. So uh, it's kind of a fun little, fun little thing that we've done. They're designed by the kids. Because I, like, Waz, I don't know about you, but, like, I couldn't draw at all when I was a child. I can't draw no, now. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm, I'm artistically So, like the, des- like, the idea of designing something as a child is crazy to me. Yeah, so so – uh, people in Charlotte always ask me what Indiana is like. And a lot of times I tell them, we got a lot of corn, we got a lot of snow, but we love our basketball. And so I kind of did one one shoe uh, of the pair. is kind of my idea of some of my memories of growing up in Indiana. So the Hooters movie, uh, you know, the candy stripe pants at Indiana, uh, some of those things, you know, a little hoop on a barn. And so I designed one of those shoes as kind of my memories. And I kind of challenged the kids at the children's hospital to, to think of things that kind of remind them of Indiana. So there's a little race car on there, a uh, basketball hoop, uh, a barn. And then uh, Riley, their, their big thing is this Riley Red Wagon is their logo. And so one of the kids drew the, the Riley Red Wagon. So anyways, the kids drew them. And then there's a, a look artist in Charlotte. They kind of put it all together in the shoe for us, and uh, it ended up being really cool. So I'm excited that I want to see him. Now, Cody, you know, you could have came up with an, any number of ways to, you know, figure out how you wanted to give back, right? Like, it's obvious that this is important to you that, you know, you, you do charitable endeavors in order to, you know, sort of pay forward the blessings that have been bestowed upon you in your life and your career. Uh, what made you want to do a sneaker tie-in, though? Like, uh, have you always been into sneakers? Or what? besides being inspired by the NFL cleats program, what made you want to do sneakers specifically? It's kind of looking for something to, some way to give back. And I feel like everyone kind of does a, a gala or golf outing, you know, something along those lines. So I was just kind of looking for, for something creative. And and uh, this opportunity popped up and, you know, kind of ran with it. And and even even early on in my career, I, I wasn't sure really, you know, I knew I wanted to give back, but there's so many good foundations of, um, you know, causes that you can help out. And uh, my rookie year, uh, one of my rookie duties was to go to the children's hospital. So one of my, one of the vets put a, a Halloween costume in, in my locker and it was around Halloween. So I had to wear the, the Mario and Luigi costume, uh, me and the other rookie, and we had to go to the children's hospital. And it was my first time visiting the Hospital. So I, I figured it was going to be kind of a, you know, a, a tough thing to do, you know, to see the kids sick. And, uh, but really when I walked in, it was, it was very much the opposite that the kids are, are singing and dancing. They got a big smile on their face and in the face of the, their illness or adversity that they're going through. And so anyway, ever since then, I've, I've continued to go back and it, it puts things into perspective for me. 
because, you know, I'm worried about a, you know, twisted ankle or a bad performance on the court, whatever it is. And it kind of reminds me that there's a lot more to life than just what happens on the basketball court. With the basketball court, um, have you felt any pressure to become a modern big man? That Like the modern big man, it feels like you protect the rim, you set illegal screens that are that are allowed, and you shoot three pointer. I feel like you've got you've got both of those except for the three pointer, or maybe maybe the yeah. illegal screens was was unfair. But it feels like no one's really set anymore. <laughs> no, no, I think most, I think probably nine out of ten of the screens that I set are illegal technically. But uh, you know, I've, I've got this title as, as being a good screener, so I think I get away with some. That's the KG in you, Cole. Right, yeah, that's Kevin Garnett's special. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I think I think the, the league changing has really helped me because, uh, you know, when I first came into the league, we, you know, Al Jefferson was our center, and we'd throw it to him in the post. Every possession, we were scoring in the 80s and 90s. And I think the, the change of the league has really helped me because I'm a mole big man. You know, I'm not so much a, a post-up guy or back-to-the-basket guy, so... Uh, yeah, this this has really helped me, and I'm more of a pick and roll guy. Like uh, you know, like I said, setting screens and kind of making the right pass. And um, but yeah, it's just crazy how much the league has changed even in my seven years since coming into the NBA. If I can circle us back to Indiana just for a second, it's a fascinating place for basketball because, like you said, I mean that is like the state sport. What was it like being like Mister Basketball in high school? Choosing to go to the University of Indiana and sort of being the savior of Indiana basketball, like what what was that pressure like? Yeah, there was uh, even pressure on a, a smaller scale, just in our little hometown. I mean, there was a, a ton to do in little Washington, Indiana. Uh, it was a town of twelve thousand, and our high school gym holds seven thousand, and we would sell it out on Friday and Saturday night. So wow. that tells you anything about how much the people love basketball, but. Uh, my two older brothers, Tyler's three years older, Luke's six years older, uh, both had great high school careers and won Mr. Basketball, state championships. And so there was a, a lot of pressure on me, even in a smaller degree in our hometown of, you know, the, the third brother coming up, you know, he's, he should be Mr. Basketball. He should be, you know, winning state championships. So I think I got a little taste of being in the spotlight a little bit in our hometown. And yeah, like you said, obviously to go to Indiana, stay at home was, was really cool for me just cause, uh, you know, the tradition in Indiana and, um, to stay close to home. And so, yeah, there was definitely a spotlight there, but I think I was, I was a little bit used to, I'd kind of got my feet wet in high school, um, with that. So, and also just the, the group of guys I had there with me kind of, kind of, you know, Vic and those Victor Aldipo kind of helped me share the spotlight and, we had some good uh, senior veterans that, you know, Jordan Hall, Christian Watt for some of those guys that kind of helped me along. So uh, I was very fortunate. And I, I love my two years in Bloomington. Yeah. What, what was that like playing with Vic? Because obviously he was a highly touted guy. Um, you guys had to have thought, I mean, as we've gotten into this era of like guys teaming up more, like you guys had to have thought, oh, we're going to run through this this college basketball season, right? Like there, there couldn't have been any doubt in your minds because that plus yeah, Yogi Ferrell was on the team, like your second year, like that was, that was a damn good team. Yeah. And I think, uh, when I was in high school, um, you know, I saw my senior year of high school, I saw a big play as a freshman and obviously his athletic ability was off the charts. And, um, but he, he wasn't much of a playmaker. He couldn't shoot it as well. Uh, but you kind of see his work ethic and, so, so when I got there, my freshman year, he was a sophomore and same thing. He, he kind of, you know, was kind of getting his feet wet and, 
you know, shooting more threes and, you know, making plays. And then by his sophomore year, he really blew up. And uh, like you said, it was a really fun year, especially my sophomore year, uh, playing on a big stage just because, uh, you know, we were number one a lot of the season. And um, even the, the away games are so much fun to play just because, you know, there's always big atmospheres. So, so that's what you dream of playing on the big stage and crazy atmospheres and everything else. So college basketball is a lot of fun for sure. So what's this, uh, you, you spent so much of your career playing with Kemba Walker. What's been the year like without Kemba, just from a locker room standpoint? Because everyone swears by, like, he's just the best locker room guy. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's uh, It's been a lot different this year, for sure. Um, not just with Kemba, but, you know, we've lost a lot of the, the veteran guys. Uh, you know, Jerry Lamb, obviously, in Indiana. Uh, Frank, uh, we bought out Marvin Williams, who I was really close with. Uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. So, you know, those five guys and, um, you know, the team is much different than a year ago or even, even a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's, it's been a lot, uh, a lot of change, um, you know, kind of investing in the young guys this year and kind of building for the future. But like you said, Kemba was awesome to play with on the court. We had a great chemistry together. Um, he made my job really easy, but, and then, like you said, off the court is even more, um, you know, it's more impressive just because how he handled the spotlight, how he handled the attention. He just, he just loves playing basketball. He doesn't, you know, carry himself higher than anyone else uh, in the organization all the way down to, you know, video coordinators or anyone else. He just, you know, wants to play basketball and he's just a good person out the court as well. You know, Kemba's gone and Devontae Graham has stepped up in a huge way for you guys this season. Uh, and, you know, I remember watching a few of your games last year where, and it's no disrespect to him, but he was barely looking at the basket. And now this year he's splashing game-winning daggers from like 30 feet out. Um, It's just been a complete transformation for him. What's it been like watching that from from up close as his teammate? Yeah, it's, it's been fun to see. Uh, you kind of see a little flash of it last season or in the summer. But I don't think anyone knew, you know, what he would be this year and, uh, and he's played, he's played so well up for, you know, most improved player this year. And, um, I think he was kind of, um, you know, stuck behind Kemba and Tony Parker last year. So he didn't get too many opportunities. And when he did, it was, you know, he better, you know, take advantage of a few minutes here or there, but this year we've kind of given him keys and he's kind of ran with it. He's run our team well. And, um, it's kind of cool to see, uh, how far he's come and hopefully he'll continue to work as hard as he has been. And, um, you yeah, have a bright future here in Charlotte. I, I want to ask you uh, about Coach Borrego because, you know, this is year two. Last year, there were some some growing pains for him, first, first time head coach. What's been the biggest difference in your mind between last season, this season, and how do you see him getting so much out of these young guys? It's pretty incredible what he's done. I mean, Graham being a prime example, but Malik Monk, who has struggled with injuries early on in his career, now playing the best basketball he's ever played in the NBA. Obviously, Bridges has been great. Um, what, what kind of stuff are you seeing from Coach Borrego? Yeah, he's got a great demeanor. I think he uh, I think he instills a lot of confidence in, in all the players, not just the young guys, of, you know, encouraging us to, you know, keep shooting our shot, make the right play, um, you know, have a short memory of, you know, bad plays or good plays, kind of move forward with, with the game plan and how you're playing. So, uh, yeah, I think he's. I think he's good, especially for the young guys, like you said. And I think the the biggest difference is I think he's become more comfortable with. Um, I think the first year he was kind of all over the place with, uh, 
you know, he's got all different assistant coaches that a lot of them he hadn't worked with before. And, you know, last year was kind of trying to please everyone. Um, but now this year he's, he kind of knows who he is. He knows what he wants from the team. And, um, yeah, like you said, it's been a, a, a good year for us. Uh, Cody, we, we have, uh, Waz who's, uh, he hasn't mentioned it yet on this podcast, which is amazing, but he's from New York. He mentions it every single time he talks. Uh, he's a big city guy. I know you're from the smaller Washington, Indiana, but, um, you know, the all-star game is in, in the big city, Indianapolis next year. Waz, I don't think has ever been to Indianapolis. So how do you sell Waz, the New York guy on wanting to go to Indianapolis for all-star weekend? Uh, I don't know if I can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, much my teammates and I were, were talking about some of the best cities that we like to visit, some of the worst cities. And I think Indiana made the worst cities on a lot of their lists, which I was really offended by. But mm. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the people here in Indiana. Um, you know, it's not the best weather. Uh, like I said, not a ton to do, but love their basketball. So. There's really nothing like playing basketball here, especially. Um, and I, I think it, I think it'll be a good host city. I hosted the Super Bowl a handful of years ago, and it was awesome host city for that and big events. Um, so I think I think it's a good host city for big big events like the All Star Game. So it's worth checking it out at least. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this. Um, to my mind, you're pretty much the only white guy signed the Jordan brand. Yeah. Um, I know you, I know they signed Luca earlier this season, but like obviously he doesn't count because he's a European guy. So like, do you wear that as a badge of honor? The only white guy on Jordan brand. Like it says a lot about what Mike thinks about you. Uh, yeah, really funny you said that. We we also have Frank Kaminsky on. Okay, uh, Frank the Tank. Okay. But Frank yeah. came a year after me, so I always tell people that I was the first white guy. <laughs> I hold on to that. Uh, Wait, he didn't get kicked off after leaving for Phoenix. He should get kicked out of there, right? He yeah, can't go to the Jordan team anymore. I know. So the uh, the whole thing is usually MJ tries to sign the first round picks that uh, the Hornets draft. So I tell people sometimes they had a one in thirty chance of getting a Jordan deal. That's just because of the Hornets drafting me. So, uh, but yeah, they they take great care of us. I got man, I have so many. Uh, probably once a month, I get you know boxes and boxes of stuff show up on my front porch. So uh, all shoes, gear, everything else. So uh, it's definitely definitely great to be a part of the family. You're a pioneer, Cody. You, you are a pioneer, absolutely. Uh, tonight, <laughs> <Breaking> color barriers. <laughs> launching the fourth sneaker. <laughs> launching the fourth sneaker um, when you return home to Indiana. Uh, when you guys take on the Pacers, the Riley Hospital for Children. Well, they've designed the shoe. It's a cool looking shoe, by the way. Saw pictures of it. like that's an awesome. Like I can't believe kids designed this. This doesn't seem right to like. I think I was just just a horrible back artist. Back to the drawing board for you, Zach. A, back to the uh, no, not the drawing board. It's the worst place to put me. I can't do it. Uh, but he's gonna also going to be donating after the game, auctioning the, the shoes off. Uh, where can we find all that information, Cody? That's uh, all on the, the Rally Hospital for Children. It's all on their website. So uh, we'll auction off the shoes uh, either after the game or um, they have a gala this summer as well. So uh, they can get all that information on their, on their website online, and uh, I'll be posting a lot of stuff about it as well. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That that Jordan deal first every first round pick that Charlotte gets, huh? Hmm. Well, you just go try to sign them. It's not a guarantee you sign. That's him. that's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. 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 They signed. You know. They signed a. Yeah. No, but seriously, committed Kemba, to Adidas, I'm, right? Kemba, freaking Kobe, yeah. freaking. Um, I'm pretty sure MKG. 
I mean, so, MKG was def- definitely a Jordan guy. Yeah. That's like Blaze. It's like Blaze Pizza inside Staples Center. You know, <laughs> it's suspicious. a little uh, walk by it every time. I'm like, huh, yeah. uh, little on the nose. <laughs> I like that Cody admitted to illegal screens. Yeah, listen, man. Like we all know the the score, and every player in the NBA that that is a good screen setter is setting illegal screens. The difference between a good one and a bad one is the guys that get away with it. And Cody's one of those. Like that's that you should hang your hat like proudly on that. Yeah, there's an art to it too, right? There's art to the illegal screen. Like some guys really do like they stick their hip out and then that's what that's gonna get called, right? right. But yeah, as long as you're kinda orbiting the guy, like you can you can move as much as you want. You just can't you can't make it the super obvious one where an arm comes out, a hip comes out, exactly the leg flails out. Yeah. Yeah, staying square to the guy that you're trying to screen. And moving a little bit, you're usually going to get away with it. I mean, not like, you know, Draymond Green gets away with it. I, I don't know how because he literally he li- grabs. He literally pushes. And he, he grabs, grabs him by the shoulders and, you know, it, it walks him out and stuff. You know, it, yeah. that, that uh, is what it is. But Rudy like Gobert the guys who are really. Stuff. Rudy Gobert is like just moving guys with his hands constantly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I know I, I like to pick on Rudy Gobert, but, but I think that he actually is. One of the five best screen setters. Brooke Lopez is another good one. Well, another I, guy mean, that, I don't know if you've heard of the statistics before, Dave, but uh, no. screen assist. Didn't know that was a thing that they oh, tracked. Oh, man. It's a thing they track. Not only do they track it, but I think they only track it in Salt Lake City because I've never seen another person mention a screen assist outside of like jazz fans or jazz media. You know, there, to a certain degree, it's it's a little bit sad that, that, you know, like we do make fun of the screen assist, but... I think the screen assist deserves it. Like it is something that is important to the game and clearly the jazz need it on offense because, you know, look at what they've been doing when he's not out there setting screens and when he's pouting about not getting the basketball, um, they, they maybe need to track those screen assists team wide. So everyone can see how much better he is at it than they are. <laughs> uh, Waz, are you sold on Indianapolis? Are we going? Yeah, no, I want to go. Um, okay. I don't know that I've been effectively sold on it by anybody, but yeah. <laughs> hey, think- all the guys, all the Final Four guys, all the guys that go to the Super Bowl, they, uh, the Indianapolis 500, they all think that Indianapolis is perfect for for the All Star Weekend. Everything will be walking distance. And I, I love that idea that we can just there's walk walking distance, That's but true. it's also Chicago like is all over the place. Cold, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but just get you like, some long I johns. I don't, don't want to. Nah, man, I've moved out of Minneapolis for a reason. <laughs> well, I was like, I don't do that anymore. Get you some long underwear. Uniqlo's heat tech is great for this sort of thing. Um, yeah, just 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 be prepared. That's all. Yeah. Burn. Uh, I've been I've been to Indianapolis, I think twice, and it was in the same playoff series. Um, but I will so say it was this: the spring. Yeah, it was the spring, so the weather was okay, but. There wasn't a ton for me to do on that off day, so I, that's when I went and saw the movie After Earth with Will Smith and Jaden Smith. I did that in Indianapolis. Also, I went to what's their big place? There, Steak and Shake. Oh, Steak and Shake is great. It was fine. It's really good. I, I like a good steak burger like that. It was. It was fine. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, like, it wasn't the best thing I've ever had, but it was also like for like eight bucks or whatever it was. Like, that was it was it was a solid meal. Yeah, I didn't like the fries though. I think they were like shoestring fries. I could be. I always like shoestring fries. Um, but uh, yeah, In and Out has the worst fries in, in all of America. Guys, I, I just don't think In and Out's very good in general. 
it's we're not gonna do three, this segment it's a, it's, today. It's, it's a it's a three dollar burger. What are we? But talking I about? think it's a it's fresh three dollar burger. Yeah, I think it's pretty. It's pretty. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty I pretty see. Pretty. I think Burger King has the worst fries. I think Burger King has awful fries. <laughs> I'd rather eat the In and Out fries than the Burger King fries. Burger King fries don't make any sense to me from a texture standpoint, from a density standpoint. They're overcooked and undercooked at the same time. It doesn't make any sense. Unless they're a sponsor. I haven't stepped through <laughs> one of those things in a while. Then have it your I, way. I will say. Or whatever their phrase is. Fresh McDonald's fries are probably the best fast food I don't fast know food that it fries. Get, I don't know that it gets better than that, right? Yeah. They just have that, that uh, you know, 1950s, 1960s American, like, you know, diner type French fry down. Yeah. Uh, do you guys, hey, do you guys see this? That's my Jay Leno impression. What's that? The Dwayne Wade Retirement Weekend. So the a twenty minute ceremony at halftime or a forty minute ceremony after the game is no longer required, Dave. It is now you get a Friday night celebration, you get the Saturday night, and then you release a documentary on Sunday. I mean, didn't Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez get tribute videos in Denver? If, well, if that if we're starting there, right? Well, if we're starting there, then they should rename Miami after Dwayne Wade, right? Like, oh, that's the only way to properly match it. Okay. I mean, it's already called so, uh, Wade a couple County. of days. <laughs> That's true. It's right. Wade County. It's Wayne Wade Way or something like that is the street. Um, but like, I do think was well, like I think the because it's pandering, right? And he earned it. Yes. Like he's the he's had the greatest career of any. I wouldn't say he's the greatest player to ever play for the Heat because obviously LeBron, but he's had the greatest career of any Miami Heat player. So he brought them three titles. He certainly earned it. He sacrificed. He did the whole thing. He left for a couple of years over some money, but whatever. Like he came back and they had their nice little, you know, bow tied on there to to make things better. But I do think like this is going to be the expectation for pandering now. I don't know because the part of it is like Dwayne Wade does have a really special relationship to Miami, and then like you got to consider the Miaminess of it all, right? Like they did the over the top celebration. Is just part and parcel with the city and the culture over there. Like there's nightclub, there's a nightclub out there that's literally open 24-7-365. Like literally <laughs> doesn't is, close. What is 8 30 to 9 30 a.m. there? Uh, you don't want to like? know. You don't want to know, Zach. <laughs> you don't want to know. Those are zombies in there. Um so I think part of it is particular to the city and yeah. the, you know, the culture over there. And then, you know, D Wade is the biggest Miami athlete since Dan Marino, and he might be bigger than Dan Marino, right? The the, the Dolphins just completely haven't mattered for decades now. Nobody's ever cared about the Marlins. And in that time, the Heat were the most consistently excellent thing in that city, even more so than the Hurricanes, right? So, you know, it's only right that Dwayne Wade sort of gets his flowers while he's still alive, if you will, um... With this three-day celebration, uh, you know, <laughs> it does seem a bit over the top. But I'm like, who's going to be the next guy that gets something even close to this similar? Like, is Cleveland going to dedicate a month to LeBron? <laughs> like, what, what they you, should. What, <laughs> you kidding me? They're rename the team. They'd be the Knicks if it wasn't for LeBron. <laughs> Would they? Would they even? Because they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have the name recognition. Yeah, That's and they true, wouldn't actually, have the money yeah. they, either. Without LeBron, at least without the Knicks LeBron, are rich. <laughs> who's their best player in franchise history? Is it Mark Price? Yeah, it's a, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got. He's a Mark good Price player. Brad but, Doherty, Terrell well, Brandon, uh, maybe. 
Wait, 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 like didn't Austin Carr? Austin Carr is like a Hall of Famer, I think. Larry yeah. Nance. Senior. I mean, they had some good players, but this is yeah, all like it can't be Larry Nance. No offense. Yeah, to the senior, but two dunk contests doesn't do it. It's not Craig Elo. Ooh, Bob Sura. Was Bobby Sura? Man, <laughs> I feel like Bob Sura watched the movie White Man Can't Jump and was just like. Oh yeah, no, that, no, that was that was Pat Connaughton. That was Pat Connaughton. But no, I, I I enjoyed the the um the celebration though, and it's nice, man. It's nice to see, you know. Again, we say this all the time on the show. It's really easy to get cynical about the NBA, as mm-hmm. you know, just as a business proposition. But there's clearly, obviously. You know, a relationship that goes beyond business when it comes to Riley, when it comes to Arison and the, the entire organization and Dwayne Wade. So, you know, it's pretty heartening to see that they decided to, you know, turn it up, turn the volume up to 1000 for his celebration. Did you guys see the documentary? I did not. So I talked to Amin about it. Who He had seen it. He said it's fantastic. He said it, it might be the most honest player documentary. See, that's the thing. I always try to avoid like. It always feels like propaganda when a player does his own doc. Like, could you imagine the OJ doc that would have came out that was commissioned by OJ and not, you know, right. Ezra? Yes, I absolutely can imagine it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and not to say that all players are as sociopathic as OJ Simpson. It's just like, I, I don't want the propagandized version well, of a documentary. But, you know, if, if you guys are telling me it's good, then I'm going to check it out. That's, uh, that's good. We set the baseline of not all players are OJ. I'm glad that we hey, got that out of the way. Somebody had to say it. <laughs> All right. Let's uh let's go to another ceremony of sorts. We've been hoping to have a coronation for these Philadelphia 76ers over the years. Uh Rich Hoffman joins us now, and it looks like that coronation has been on hold and will be on hold further uh because Ben Simmons has a serious back injury. Rich, how serious is this back injury? Because it feels like it's there are not a lot of details out there. Yeah, Zach, there's not a lot of details right now. And I think we're just kind of all waiting for what the official word is. Ben Simmons and the Sixers, they they do like to protect um, the the injury news. You know, they're they're pretty tight with that. I do think it's, you know, it's not going to be something that's like, uh, hey, he's back in in a week, though. Um, You know, I think for me, the biggest win for the Sixers right now would be if he's back by the playoffs and he's actually healthy and able to do it, um, to me, I would consider that a major win because, you know, at, at this point, it's like they're going to be locked into the four, five, maybe the six seed. There's really nothing major to play for outside of that. Well, they've lucked out a little bit that Indiana's fallen off a cliff. Yep, that's true. And I mean, it, it looks like, you know, Miami lost to. Cleveland last night so you know and, and they have I don't know if they have the easiest schedule in the NBA they did going into last night but they they have a lot of, of bad teams they have two games in LA coming up in the next week those are the only games over 500 uh, on the road that they have to play which they lose like literally every single one of those uh, which is uh, <laughs> kind of the story of this season so it does get a little bit easier but yeah I mean look I mean if they don't have Ben Simmons for the playoffs they're uh Whatever slim hopes they have of making a run in the playoffs, they obviously just go kaput. <laughs> have you gotten an indication from the organization that this could potentially be like actually season-ending injury for Simmons? No, they they, they gave no indication. Oh wow! Last night they 
it's it's pretty amazing how they uh they've done this with Embiid a few times as well. They're uh I don't know, it, it's amazing. They'll give an update which is no update. Um, you know, over the uh you know, before a game. So no, I like I am I am in the dark with everybody else. We have no idea what exactly this is. I mean I, I just think like thinking about how backs have derailed some careers and how they're they're tricky to deal with though. I think in general, it's it's probably not a good sign that they're taking this long to figure this out, though. Okay, so he was injured. I mean, he had this back issue, and they were the plan going into the game was that he was going to receive treatment during the game. That just doesn't sound very That's smart insane. to me. Insane. No. Like if he needed treatment, he shouldn't have been playing. No, it sounds crazy, and I, you know, this is not the Sixers' first rodeo with a weird injury. Uh, the weird way to handle an injury. I guess the, the only thing I would say is that Ben Simmons throughout his career, he did break his foot his first year, but that was kind of a, a freak accident. And of course they redshirted him to in part to get more ping pong balls and, and all those other things. Um, but after that, he's been an iron man. I think he's yep. like, he's missed six games or, or something like that. And if you look at the minutes leaders each year, he's like 10th, 12th. And this year, he was playing a crazy amount of minutes this year, in part because the Sixers don't have a good backup for him. And Brett Brown would just play him in the second half of these games. He would just skip his rotation and say, well, you know, I just I, I liked how he was playing and he didn't look tired, um, which probably isn't the best idea. But in, in general, he's like, you know, for all or, or any of his flaws as, as a basketball player and, and as a shooter, he's one of the most well-conditioned athletes I've seen. And, and I do kind of agree that he can play a lot of these minutes. So I, I wonder if it was just kind of a new rodeo, like with him dealing with an injury. I, I do agree with you, though, Dave. I thought it was crazy that he played in that game, especially because he lasted what all of five minutes before yeah. he had to come out. And and it's like you said, the uh, the report on the on the ESPN broadcast. I was not in Milwaukee for that game, but the report that they were going to bring him back to the locker room for treatment that just automatically sounds like why is he even playing at this point? So is there a is there any kind of trust built up with this organization injuries at this point because it it doesn't feel like a great history since uh, this new regime. No. Uh, by new regime I mean the ownership. Like I don't want to say I don't want to put all this on Elton Brandt. Like I'm just talking about the ownership in general like they've had some pretty curious decisions and pretty curious information out there. Yeah, and I mean I think part of it is that you know they they've drafted a lot of injured players as well. Like I think I don't think they've handled all the Embiid stuff perfectly but to be fair, like that's that's been a tricky player to handle throughout his career. Uh, it's tough because now they are in the mode of, you know, they're, they're in this such a win now mode right now, where you even have Brett Brown after the game saying last night when, you know, Embiid is is grabbing his back during the game and it didn't stop him from scoring a career high and he seemed like he was in good spirits afterwards, but he essentially was like, look, we we got to play, you know, we've got to we got to fight through it. We can't coach scared at this point and you know i think uh on the one hand they feel like a team that is the whole year thought they were going to be able to flip the switch in the playoffs but that doesn't mesh with what we've seen with them fighting through injuries i thought Embiid came back kind of quickly from that hand injury it might have screwed him up for a couple weeks with how he played so like I, i think to give you a, a general answer no I, I don't think there's a lot of trust with uh with how they've handled some injuries there's been some weird stuff over the years 
you know, a lot of this stuff is, you know, when we talk about Sixers or just any team is is vanity based. And Waz and I are two of the most vain people um, <laughs> in the basketball media. We picked the Sixers in the in the preseason to go yeah. to the finals, <laughs> and we've held on to this hope that. Not that we actually give a shit about the Sixers. We just care about our, our needless predictions. Absolutely. Yeah, I get so, it. So, yeah, at a certain point, when do, should we have abandoned hope already? Or, or is there still hope that Simmons can come back and we can look like geniuses? So, yeah, I, I do think if he is uh, back healthy by the playoffs, I, I do hold some hope that they're going to be a little bit better than what we've seen. Like, I just think of that Christmas Day game against the Bucks, and, and they've played really well against Boston in some of those games. M- most of their great games have been at home. I mean, they're 27-2, and two, and then they're a lottery team on the road. But they, they have had some highs this year, and I think like just with the talent with, with Simmons and Embiid and the idea that they're so freaking big and they can lock into a scouting report in the playoffs, and it's a little harder to score for for some of these teams in the playoffs against them. I do think there is like reasonable hope that they would be better in the playoffs. I guess my problem is I just look at Milwaukee and how they have played this year, and I know the regular season is different than the playoffs. They just look on a on a different stratosphere, and that would be the Sixers' second round matchup if they are able to squeeze through the heat, which is probably how it's going to play out. It would be a lot of fun if they played the heat in the first round with Jimmy Butler and, and all of kind of the, uh, the bubbling bad blood with how that ended after last season. But so, so, you know, I I do think they have a puncher's chance in any series they have. If, if MB and Simmons are healthy and, you know, I I do think they're a better playoff team than a regular season team. But they have to be a lot better. And, yeah, I I would say I I don't hold a ton of hope out for them making a deep run. But there is a chance. They're smelling like a first-round Alex. I'm going to be wrong again, Listen, I think I had them in the finals, too. So (laughs) it's not great. (laughs) It it feels like a first-round out. I mean, it really does. It's possible, yeah. And and I think this team is going to be in for big changes this summer. At at what point – are we going to start seeing like the the pieces about Elton Brand and the job he did last summer? Because it's not like this roster is uh, really built for for the guys that they have on it. Definitely, they are. You know, I think it, it's fun in the summer to say, "Oh man, look how weird and how big they are." But then when you go through an eighty-two game schedule, it's like, "Wow, these guys don't exactly fit together offensively." And the uh, you know, I, I don't want to like mince words too much here. The Al Horford signing has been. A disaster so far so that hasn't been great and I think the the Brett Brown has always been under fire in Philadelphia just because this has been a high pressure team with their their young star players and and the process was such a polarizing thing and he's been here all the way through it but I, I would just say this and and I don't think he's going to make it if uh you know, they lose in the first or the second round, and it's it's kind of ugly at the end. I don't think the coach is going to make it. But I agree with you, Dave. Like, I think firing the coach is the easy thing, right? right. If you don't make any changes to the roster or, or the front office and, and just come back with a different coach, I don't think this is Mike Budenholzer coming in for Jason Kidd and, and things are going to be fine next year. I mean, maybe – like, look, maybe Simmons takes a major step and figures out how to shoot, and he he goes up another level. But, like, I think that wouldn't be the, that would be the wrong way to look at it. And I think, frankly, even if Simmons were to miss time all the way throughout the season, and they don't have 
their full deck in the playoffs. I think that's kind of a bad way to look at it too. Like I don't think this team is really built. It's uh it's funny. I, I would say when they first won fifty something games a couple of years ago, they had all these pieces that fit around Embiid and Simmons. They had JJ Redick, they had Robert Covington, they had Dario Saric. And these guys, you know, they, they weren't great players, but they could all defend to an extent and they were catch-and-shoot guys in J.J.'s case, and, and they all would fire. They went the complete opposite way with this team, where I think they have more talent now, but we're seeing like the, the level of fit between Horford and Embiid. It's just it's just not there. And Josh Richardson is a really he, – he's a good player, but he has inconsistent nights. You know, I think he's not really the catch-and-shoot guy that makes Embiid the best version of himself. And Tobias Harris is – you know, he's fine. He's a good isolation scorer. He can he could beat his man when it's the right matchup and he can have big nights. But, you know, there are other nights where he's probably not worth the 30 plus million dollars he's making. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you. And, and I would say that just firing the coach, I, I would look at how this roster was constructed. Um, I, I don't really see, you know, a great job being done there either. See, for me, I, I don't know that you can a case can be made that Brett Brown has been quote unquote bad, but I don't see how you can make the case that he's been good. That's just, you know, I don't know where there's proof of Brett Brown being good at what it is he has to do, which is get his guys to buy in and get people to, you know, sort of want to do things that they normally wouldn't want to do when it comes to people like Al Horford or a Joel Embiid or, or of course a Ben Simmons who refuses to shoot outside of, six feet from the basket. Um, but I'm just wondering, yeah, like you said, firing the coach is the would be the easy thing to do. But the roster composition, like you're locked in for big money with a lot of these guys. Um, I don't know that Tobias Harris is, say, untradeable or Al Horford is unmovable, but it would seem like a very difficult task to undertake, no? I totally agree. Those are those are massive deals. I think Horford is probably the more untradeable. Although Tobias, his contract goes five years, so that is not a cheapie either. So yeah, and I would agree with you. And I guess you know, looking forward, if they do flame out in the second round, I would just kind of ask the question: That is going to be a tough task. What has this front office done to uh, prove to you that they can get you out of this mess? Right. Like, I think if you're going to make changes to this roster and make some of those difficult moves, wouldn't you rather have somebody else in? Because I think what kind of gets lost here, the uh, the Elton brand hiring, it feels like this has been, you know, kind of a new front office after the uh, the burner gate with Brian Colangelo. That's not the case. They kept everybody else in place. And, you know, I think after Sam Hinkie was here. They're, uh, it's ironic that the trust the process team, their last two hiring processes for their general managers have been pretty weak. Like they, they gave Jerry Colangelo that chairman role because Adam Silver stepped in or whatever. And then six months later, poof, his son pops up and it's like, all right, well. Well, I'm sure that was due diligence and, you know, (laughs) based on merit, based on merit hiring process. I mean, come on. I think you they. Don't, you I don't think, just get the guy who brought Andrea Bargnani to Toronto. Like, you don't just get that guy. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe he fell into their lap. I know. How lucky were they? Um, 
And (laughs) at least he knew like how to construct a roster. I mean, if we're just going and and we're comparing the roster he put together to this roster, clearly that one is, is a one that's at least designed to win basketball games. Whereas this one is just, I don't know. I think this one is designed to slow down. This was a talent play, man. This was just, it was like, let's compile a shit ton of talent. Um, talent generally wins out in the postseason. Um, we think our coach can figure it out and how to make it work. Well, I I also think this team was designed to slow down and beat Giannis, but they Giannis. didn't take into consideration any other team that might right. come into the into yeah. the mix. You do have to play other teams. Yes, that's true. Uh, are we are we going to talk about Horford this summer? The way we've been talking about Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul the last two summers, as far as this contract goes, of get him out of here. I mean, it's just like, is he now the most, like the worst contract in basketball? Mm. No, because I think there are plenty of teams that would trade for him. I think, yeah, I think if you really like. Like he's not, he's not a good contract at this point, but I until do think, he gets traded, right? Yeah. Until he gets traded. Yeah. So I guess until he gets traded. Yeah. He might, it might be. I think somebody like the Clippers would be over the moon to have Horford. Uh, obviously, I think the Celtics wish he never left in the first place, even though they balked at the, the cash amount. I think there's good teams that would still like to have Al Horford and if they could figure out how to make the salaries work would take him because he's still an incredible – he still has a reputation for being an incredible locker room guy. Um, And, you know, the defensive smarts and theoretically he stretches the floor. (laughs) Although he hasn't done that. Yeah, I'm at 31% I think from three. Yeah, he hasn't done that. Yeah, but it feels like 33 guys. Like it it feels like a third of those are going in. That's the wind chill. Yeah. So I think he's still, he's still got some value out, out there. But, yeah, Dave, it's, it's going to be tough. Well, and, and, and we know in Philadelphia how good Al Horford is because he used to kill the Sixers. He used to frustrate Joel Embiid, unlike anybody. Maybe maybe Marcus Sullivan. Still does. Yeah. Because he's ocup- trying to occupy the same space. Still st- still stopping him. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of tweets in Philadelphia like Al Horford has ruined basketball for me now in multiple ways. Goodness, o- that's not his fault. Yeah, it's you know what? It's a tough fit because he like when he uh, used to kill the Sixers, he really needs like a pick and roll threat to, you know, he needs to pop and he needs to, you know, take forever to shoot that three or pump fake and drive. And he a when he plays a four, he doesn't have that. And B, like the Sixers just don't have that player on their roster. They have Ben Simmons who, you know, he gets into the lane and he kicks out and creates a lot of threes, but Horford is, he's just been trying these uh, quick trigger threes all season. And it's just been, it's a rough fit. I mean, he's shooting, I think it's close to 10 percentage points worse from two point range now too. It's uh, it's been a rough fit. And I agree with you. Like I, I think as a person and as a player, it's not like he's completely done, but the uh, the situation here has been tough, and uh, you know he'll help them in the playoffs. Like if Simmons can play, part of the reason they got him was because the Sixers were an absolute disaster as soon as Embiid hit the bench in the playoffs. Like they played Greg Monroe for three minutes in that Game Seven last year, lost those three minutes by twelve points, and that won't be as big of a problem this season. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a rough fit, and I think uh, if they are able to move him for, you know, not having to attach too much to him, I think in the offseason that would be best for pretty much everybody. That, things are great. Joel Embiid, 49 <laughs> points. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Rich, uh, before we let you go, do you think that Ben Simmons is definitely back before the playoffs? 
you know, I, I, just as a feel, I, I'm going to play the speculation game because I know that's what you guys want. Um, I think he will play in the playoffs in, in some shape or form. All right. There it is. Read him on The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter. Rich Hoffman. Thanks, man. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Rich is one of the fine writers at The Athletic. Before we move on, guys, I want to take a moment to tell you more about the great things going on at The Athletic. The Athletic, home to 400 of the best sports writers out there covering every major team in every major league in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. You know who my favorite is. No no offense to the cultural anthropologist because, Waz, you know I love your stuff. I love the New Balance article. But it's Ethan Strauss. He's the best there is out there. No one Rich comes up with Dave, better things. Dave. Yeah, no one comes up with better things to, to write and to, and to have you read. Um, also, nobody can single-handedly crash Nike stock. Right, and he didn't even do that here. Imagine the imagine the sneaker company he'll crash at the athletic. That's why you want to subscribe so you can read that. Simply put, we've got the best sports newsroom on the planet. But if you don't uh, want to take my word for it, you don't have to. You can see for yourself. Sign up for a free trial. Head to theathletic.com slash back-to-back. That's the word back, the word two as in T-O, and the word back again, theathletic.com slash back-to-back. You're going to save 40% on an annual subscription that works out to $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. What are you waiting for? That's theathletic.com slash back-to-back to save 40%. Man. Plus, you get, you get power rankings. You get style rankings. You get Washington Wizards coverage with Fred Katz. That, that alone is worth the price. That alone all. is worth the price. You get to read about 108 points in two straight losses for Bradley Beal. Fred, what's going on? Muted. I don't think he is muted. Oh, he's not. No, he's just oh, not and, talking. And, oh, I'm here, guys. Hi, guys. Leave all that. <laughs> Jade was correct. I was muted. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not on the roll that Bradley Beal is on right now. Uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of points and a lot of losses. A lot of points, though. So many points. points. Yeah. Um, the last, I mean, back to back, in back to back games, back to back days, he scores 108 points, 53, 55. Uh, I don't think that had been done since Kobe Bryant, right? Kobe was the last person to score 50 plus in uh, in two straight days. He's the third player in NBA history to go for 53 plus in consecutive games. It's Wilt, it's Harden, and it's him. Wilt did it 16 times, by the way, which is hilarious. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and you know what? I got to say, guys, um, we might owe his fiance an apology. No. <laughs> For what? <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I didn't choose I, the all-star people. I, I, just yeah, wanted, I just wanted to revisit the fact that his fiance went on TV and excoriated people for him not making the all-star team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, support your man, guys. <laughs> Fred, uh, all right, I, I, I have a cynical question to ask you. Do these two games matter? Because you could just chalk it up to, oh, big points on a losing team, except th- this team is kind of, at least before the last two days, they were kind of in this playoff race, right? I mean, Bradley Beal will tell you they matter. Uh, Brad is still talking about the playoffs after every game, and I, I get it. 
I mean, if you're a player and you're three and a half back of the eight seed, you're like, yeah, you, you should be thinking about the playoffs. I'm, I'm a little more of a realist. They're 20 and 36. Like I, this, this to me is the epitome of, of Eastern conference sadness that we're talking about 20 and 36 and three and a half out of the eight seed. But like, if you're three and a half out of the eight seed, like, and you're a player or you're a coach and your goal is not big picture, your mentality is not big picture because players and coaches just they, they want to win games. That's how they're wired. That's how they're built. They don't, you know, no player in there cares about getting the seventh pick instead of the ninth pick come this June. They, they just want to win games. So like, yeah, you know, Bill's talking about it after every game. I don't mind that. I have no problem with that. That's fine. I, okay. But here's the thing. Yeah, they lost, but they took the, by far the best team in basketball to overtime and had a chance to win it. I mean, it's, this team, like, yes, their defense is awful. But there are improvements being made, and it may not be about this season because they may not miss, make the playoffs. Um, but but they have stuff that they can build on. By the way, they did this: no Thomas Bryant, no Davis Bertans. That's a big deal. I mean, it's a moral victory, but still, Beal was ridiculous last night, though. Yeah, he was insane. It was that that fourth quarter into into overtime. He was just. His decision making was unbelievable because even on that last play, everybody in the world, last play regulation, everybody in the world thought Bradley Beal was going to shoot that ball. Right. The one he ends up passing to Rui under the under the basket and Rui ends up getting blocked by Robin Lopez. Now, his it was a little bit off because I think when you go back and you look at it, if you want to nitpick Beal, I think there's like a world in which Beal could have potentially tried to throw tried to throw a lob to Rui if he recognized that maybe a split second earlier. But there are like. Maybe John Wall makes that play, but there are like five, eight players in the world who are able to get off that lob from that angle and make an accurate pass and find that guy. Like what he did was still a good basketball play and the right play. And like if Rui pump fakes or if Rui tries to dunk it, maybe he gets fouled or maybe he ends up making that shot. Like it was an example of just, you know, not playing with a guy who doesn't have the experience of the best way to finish on that kind of play. Right. But like basically aside from a couple turnovers here and there because Milwaukee was just swarming him. They were so obsessed with stopping that guy that they just forgot about Rui Hachim. The best defense in the league, even without Brooke Lopez and with Giannis fouled out, just forgot about Rui uh, cutting on the back and was sending everybody at him for overtime. And he was just making good decisions. You know, the last play of the game, he ends up giving it up to, to Napier because he's got three bucks guys in his face. He was I, I I don't know if if you can use last night's performance against the Bucks as a replicable thing because he wasn't just on fire from a shot making perspective. He was on one from a a feel perspective. Like he was just doing everything right. But like, yeah, yeah if you want to look at it half glass half full, like yeah, they lost at home to the Cavs and they lost pretty bad to Chicago when he went for fifty three on Sunday. But second night of a back to back, Milwaukee was pretty close to the full squad and they, they, they played a good game. Like Shabazz went for 27 too. If he was defending at all, we would be talking about him in a different class of player. I, like right now, I think he's like in tier three, you know, if you, you're breaking it out somewhere, you know, between 20 and 30, if he was defending at all, he, we'd be talking about him. Like he's Jimmy Butler in that top 12 to 15 or so. He's averaging 30 a game now. Yeah. And, and for all the talk of him not making threes, He's he's been efficient because he's getting to the line at an incredible rate lately. Like something clicked with him about a month ago 
And and I actually do think this is a sustainable change where the last 14 games he's getting to the line more than 10 times a game. And I don't know if it's he's going to have a free throw rate that's quite that high because that's like basically hardened level. And I don't think it's going to sustain at that. But I do think he's a much improved guy getting to the line. He started doing the hardened move a lot more where he kind of holds out the ball and beats guys and then guys come in and right when the guy reaches in, he knows, he knows to go up and go for it. And I talked to him about it and he just started, he, he said that like it, something clicked with him where he was like, I don't like, I never liked playing that way. I don't really enjoy playing that way all that much, but it's so much more effective when I can just get to the line all the time. And you look at his last 14 games, he's getting to the line over 10 times a game. He's averaging 37 a game on really efficient shooting, partly really efficient because of how often he's just getting to the paint and getting fouled. And when you can get fouled that much, it's it starts to become you can get away with having a down shooting season from three like he's having where he's like 32 percent from three because he makes up for it around the hoop. Do we have any John Wall, John Wall updates? I would be shocked if John played this year. He doesn't want to play this year. That would be mm. terrible, right? What a that's it's a bad idea. idea. Yeah, it's a bad idea. Nobody wants him to play this year. He ownership doesn't want him to play. Management doesn't want him to play. Coaching doesn't want him to play. And he is not at all pushing to play. So using all that, like he outwardly says he doesn't want to, when he comes back, he wants to be a hundred percent. He he's talked about with me how maybe the Achilles injury can be 13 months, 14 months, but it takes another six months or eight months to, you know, go from clear to medically play to actually feeling like yourself. So maybe even a year or longer. So I think he's fully aware of that. And he said to me, like he, when he comes back, he doesn't want to be playing 18 minutes a game for a sustained stretch. Like he wants to, he would rather just rehab and come back and have those minutes when he could be playing 18 minutes in NBA games, have those minutes during scrimmages and practices. And I could even see them using him in the G league, uh, Potentially, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes because, uh, you know, it's obviously the start of the season of training camp and all that. But I could see them kind of having quirky rehab stuff with him in that in that sense. And then uh, bringing him back when he's able to play, you know, closer to 30 or something like that, because he feels really passionate about that kind of stuff. Fred, why why did Ted Leonsis follow me on Twitter? Oh, I don't know. You you did write uh, some some stuff about him a couple weeks ago, if I, I did. recall. I did. I don't think it went over well. Well, if he's sliding into DMs, you can let me know. All right. Uh, so, hey, looking ahead to this summer, you, you're, you're still on the, on the Bradley Beal will be a wizard next season train, correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not like – You don't think he wants out? I'm not, I'm not firmly on the train 100% willing to stake my net worth on it. But uh, if, I had to, if I had to pick a side – I would I would guess that uh, he is he is at least committed to seeing how they're going to be once John Wall comes back. Yeah, it it does feel like if you're going to make the move to force a trade or a request a trade, however you want to put it, um, doesn't the summer of twenty or twenty twenty one make way more sense? Just because that's when there's the most uh, the most kind of creativity with the cap. Uh, that's when you know more heavy price guys and high price guys and superstars are available to make moves and team up. Like to me, that's when it seems like, like I think they can, I think Beal can kind of kick the tires a little bit on, on a move um, if he decides he wants to leave, but it feels like a year from now is really the time. Yeah. And I mean, look, I think, I think we on all of us have to do something where we, we have to be 
more measured in just talking about like, yes, Bradley Beal is totally frustrated with this season. But I don't know if that always means like this guy's frustrated. So he wants out. Like, I don't equate this to the Kevin Love situation because he's not he's not Which he's time? not blowing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's not he's not blowing up in the same way that that Kevin Love is. You know what I mean? Uh, where he he's actively saying he wants out in that sort of situation. And 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 all I can relay is what I hear from him and what I hear from people around him. And you hear a similar message, which is that. Brad knew this year was going to be frustrated, and right now he is frustrated because they're 20 and 36, and he doesn't enjoy being on a, a team that's 20 and 30, or I should say he doesn't enjoy losing 36 out of 56 games. But when he signed that contract, part of the thing that he was excited for was he wanted to see how it could work when he had his own team for a year and then see how it worked when John came back. Uh, we'll see what kind of a player John's going to be. I, I I don't know. I just don't know what he's going to be. There hasn't been a lot of success historically with guys coming back from Achilles injuries. But Brad, from everything you hear from people around him, from everything that he says publicly and privately, he's excited to play next to John and kind of see and kind of relearn, honestly, how those two are going to play next to each other. John is a different player than he was three years ago. Even if he didn't get hurt, he'd be a different player. Bradley Beal is obviously a very different player. He's a 30-point scorer now than he was three years ago when they were playing next to each other. So I think, I think they're excited to, to at least give that a chance and he's got two and a half years left. So if it doesn't work, then, then you say something later. Is Davis Bertans getting a max? Can they create a new contract? Can they create a 40% max? That That's, do you think he would feel as if he deserved a 40% max? I, I think he would, he would feel that they should just kick the other 14 guys off the team. And and let him take shots from the opposing free throw line. I think if you put him on on truth serum, he would and like thus he had no inhibitions on the court. He would spot up from half court every single time. Same. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, that that guy is the most co- he's the most confident shooter in the league. I think. Oh, more confident than Joe Ingles. Yeah, I don't know, man. Joe Ingles says. Joe Ingles is measured. Yeah, sometimes he's gunshot. You ever talk to Joe Ingles? He's not measured. (laughs) No, but Joe Ingles is like – Joe Ingles knows limitations. Like Joe Joe Ingles plays measured form of basketball. Like when he gets hot, he puts it up. But like Joe Ingles isn't taking 36 footers. You know? Uh, I don't know that he's he's allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I don't know if Quinn Snyder is a, a fan of that, but like Davis Davis unleashed Davis Bertans. That 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 dude thinks he can do anything. What about uh what about unleashing Zion Williamson on Anthony Davis tonight, guys? <laughs> huh? That, huh? that every Davis? single every single time the Wizards a Wizards game matches up with a Pelicans game, I'm like, damn it. Because I just want to see what bully ball thing that dude is going to do under the rim on that given night. Some, some NBA superstar is getting embarrassed tonight, and I don't think it's going to be Zion. It's going to be JaVale? No, listen. Oh. All right. LeBron or AD? Because he, he does it to somebody in every game. 
And it's going to be LeBron or AD. LeBron won't, put him, like, LeBron won't put himself in that position. LeBron's not going to guard Zion. Come on. I don't know. I, don't know. I think Zion's going to guard he's LeBron. He's not doing that. Right? Well, okay, That's the thing. That'll be cool. But, but like, LeBron is – he's <laughs> he's not doing that. He doesn't want those problems, man. With anybody. Who's, who are they going to put on him? Who's the funny – they're going to put KCP on, on nah, Zion. No, they got to put Dwight on him. They have to. Yeah, probably. Yeah. They got and to. Just, he's, and just he's lay the back only and one that even jumpers. has a chance strength-wise. I don't know, but Dwight lost 40 pounds before the season, so I don't know if he's heavy enough anymore. It's <laughs> a wild number, by the way. 40 pounds. Yeah. He's lost 40 pounds before seven different seasons. That's. What if he just doesn't know what a pound is? <laughs> would surprise me. No, but Zion, Zion's going to get somebody tonight, and I, I can't wait. Dave, is this a showcase for future Laker Zion Williamson? No, no, okay, no, no. I, I just, you know, I, I think, uh, I think Zion's probably going to play in New Orleans for his entire career. I think they're they're going to somehow petition the league so that they can give him more money than anybody else. Um, that's a good move. If you want to, if you want to save basketball in New Orleans, you know, we we should all be rooting for Zion to play there for twenty seasons. It's crazy how good he is already. And yeah. people are just say, oh, he hasn't done anything during the playoffs. No. He's overhyped. He's got to get injured. Yeah. Shut up. He doesn't he's even so know what good. he's doing yet. And no. he's just beasting right. people. He's so he's, good. He's dominant. And they don't even really have to run stuff specifically for him. Like he gets all of the, these things on the margins. This is, you know, where he gets his own rebound. He's rebounding a ridiculously high number of his own misses. That where, That free throw rebound the other day because nobody boxed out Zion Williamson for some reason. Yeah, you know, I mean, he just rips the ball from grown men and literally is, is – I mean, he's the biggest bully in the NBA and he's 19 years old. But Dave, to be fair, I wouldn't want to box out Zion either. No. It sounds no. awful. Yeah. You're not putting me on a highlight Yeah, because I got tossed into the first row. I get it. But, you know, you, you got to stop him and, and nobody can do it. Now, AD – I, I don't know if it was Bleacher Report or ESPN, but someone like – Put out a tweet the last time the Pelicans and Lakers played of like, oh, Anthony Davis getting his revenge on his old team. It's like he has to leave. So what's the dumb thing that gets posted tonight on someone's social media? I feel like it's going to be a, like a, a like the two of them together of like what could have been. Probably. <laughs> you know, and that's the that's the the the, the story of this New Orleans thing, right? Them getting, them getting the first pick kind of erased all of the hand wringing. Poor New Orleans, and a superstar wants out. Oh my God! Wonder how, wonder how that happened. It's so messed up. And why up is it happening to the tiny little market that could? And all of that is done now. Now that they have Zion, everybody's done crying for them, and I'm so happy and thankful for it, honestly, because it was just like. Jesus, dude, they had AD for seven years. <laughs> like, was that just not enough? Like, my goodness. How long until AD regrets not being in New Orleans with that budding super team? Never. never. He's never going to regret. You, you, you kidding me, Dave? Los did, you not, did you not see that he's got his own ruffles? <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> hey, man, those ruffles are pretty good. Did you eat them? That's the only... <laughs> I thought that was Guys, a collector's the... item, was? Oh no! I ate that the night. I I, I ate that as soon as I got home that night. 
guys, midnight did, snack. At, Come on. at All Star, at All Star, they did like a Ruffles red carpet thing. He literally would only answer Ruffles questions. I, I respect just, it. I I think that they should that like the beat reporters with the Lakers should have just done the opposite at actual All Star availability. Like it just only asked him Ruffles questions at All Star and see how he handled it. I think that's the way to go. Because there's no way he was prepped for that at that point. Exactly. It's just so far from his mind. Like Ruffles, when Ruffles are on your mind, you can talk Ruffles. But once the Ruffles are gone, you're not talking Ruffles. You're just ruffling feathers. Well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, For, I guess, Fred Katz after that. uh... Actually, I shouldn't be mad at you. You're kind of a chip off the this is this is uh <laughs> you have me on you you just you're asking for it you deserve it yeah i mean you'll you'll lace down the gauntlet right <laughs> <laughs> dipping your toe exactly for big waz for dave defour for fred Katz, for cody seller of the Charlotte Hornets, Jade Hoy, I'm Zach Harper. Thank you for subscribing to the Athletic and the Podcast. If you haven't, do it. What's wrong with you? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.